You know, when I, uh, when I made the decision to leave the seminary and uh, uh, become a pastor, um, I had put my name in at different churches and things like that. And so Dylan sent me the packet of information on how good we are. We walk on water, all that kind of good stuff, you know. And uh, I, didn't read the, I didn't read any of that information. I didn't read the doctrinal statement. What I read was the financial statement. Because you can tell the heart of a person by looking at their checkbook. Let that sink in just a little bit. You can tell a person's heart by looking at their checkbook. Because Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So the very first thing I looked at was the uh, financial statements. And I called Nancy. I said, Nancy, come over here and look at this. This church gives a lot of money outside the doors. With all the missions work that's going on, our food bank, I don't know, 5,000 meals a year, the uh, benevolence fund, 30,000 to 80,000 a year, depending on how much money comes in. And uh, and I looked at that, and I thought, man, the average giving in America is like 1.8%. This is a church with a heart. All right, I'm interested. Then I read all the documents on how good we are. They're all true. We're great. I love this church. And uh, this is just a simple, just a little simple example of what I've seen for four and a half years here, the heart of people. It's just one of the many, many things that happens. And you think, this one little box, really, is that going to change your life? Well, you saw the example. If you've ever been downtown, uh, if you haven't done it, it's worth doing it. You go down to one of the major centers, they have one in Denver, where they have people that volunteer, they go through all those boxes that come. And you have a warehouse the size of a football field with nothing but these boxes in them. And they're sending them all over the world to kids. And it's just, just a little tiny example of a heart. So thank you for being that way. We're in the middle of a series. Oh, no, first I want to ask you to pray. Um, this weekend, Friday and Saturday, every year the elders and the staff and former elders, we get together for a retreat. And this is our retreat, uh, this Friday night and Saturday. And so I'd like to ask you if the Lord reminds you to pray for our leadership this weekend as we talk about our church and pray for our church. We pray for each other. We talk about ideas and what's going on. And we do an evaluation of the church and how everybody's doing. And so this is that time of the year. So please pray for that. And in fact, let's just stop right now and pray. Father, we lift up to you uh, our praise to you for being such a good God. Lord, uh, we, you are so careful and so generous and so affectionate with us so kind and patient, and we are so thankful that you, you live with us that way. And Father, I pray this weekend for the leadership retreat that I pray that you would, um, again, just give our leadership team wisdom. They're such great men and women, and they, they uh, love this church. So I pray that you would bless the weekend this weekend. Thanks for all the people sitting here. Again, these boxes, they, just, they represent a heart. And Lord, uh, thank you for giving our church a heart to give to you. And help us to continue to grow that heart. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're in the middle of a series. Um, You can see it up on the thing, the road to victory. Some neglected aspects of our calling or our journey. We have a, uh, along the way, life is very, uh, very tenuous in a broken world. Uh, One philosopher that I read said that Satan's greatest weapon is the creation of weapons of mass distraction. I like that. Weapons of mass distraction. And so all along the way, every step, 
we are being tempted off of that path down blind alleys, potholes, things like that. So we're just spending some time looking at some of those. What are these kinds of things that are easy to draw us off? Today I want to talk about balance. What does it look like to live a life of balance? Now balance is not unique to Christianity. Every culture has to fight with it. Every industry has to fight with it. We use the language in accountants. What do they want? They want a balanced state of finances, right? That's what they want. They, uh, wherever you go, people are trying to figure out balance. We don't want people going too far out into the extremes. What changes from culture to culture and from generation to generation is how do we define those values? How do we find those, define those boundaries within which we stay? In my, in my life, I've been a Christian 40 years next year, I, as I've listened to uh, sermons on balance and, and I've read books on balance and all of that, and I've discovered that there's a couple of things that we say about the idea of balance that I I really struggle with. One is that it's simple. We present it as if it's just something to do. It's almost like an event. And it's not. You see, a life of balance is very, very complex. It's very complex, as you'll see when we we get into the scriptures. And not only that, one of the things that makes it complex is our changing culture and our changing lives. So when I was, uh, when Nancy and I first came back from Germany and I decided to go to grad school and I was doing my master's and PhD, that was a very, very costly time. Very costly time for our family. There was a period of time, I don't know, one, two years where I hardly saw the kids. You know, I was home, I'd come home for dinner and go right back to the library until they close um, five, six days a week. And, and it was created tension in our family and our, our kids, some of our kids were angry during that time. Now, many years later, they're proud of that because they participated and they, and they see what God has done with it. But it's hard to tell then. You know, today the kids are all grown. Now we have grandkids. And what balance looks like in our world today is very different than what it looked like 25 years ago. It's very different. So as you go through life, you all know that, that everything is shifting. And so it's a complex formula to try to make sense of all that's happening. You hear things like, um, you need to spend less time at work and uh, spend more time at home. Man, that would be great. I've never had a boss where I could say, I'm spending too much time at work, I'm going to stay at home more. Just hasn't happened in my life. The boss says, yeah, right, we'll find somebody else. Makes me wonder what kind of boss I am. Should better think about that. So that's not the way it works. Maybe, maybe it's something a little different. Maybe instead of time, maybe presence is important. When you're home, are you truly present? Or is your mind still elsewhere? Back at the tensions of wherever you've come from for the day. Is that what it is? You know, it's interesting. As many of you know, I, I uh, study, practice, and teach Taekwondo. And one of the things that we do is when we enter what in Taekwondo is called the dojang, a space where you work out, it symbolizes a space that's uh, stepping out of the world, if you will. And this is common in many, many Asian cultures. In Nepal, for example, when my students come up to me, they walk up and they do this. They bow. That's out of respect. When they stand up and ask a question, they'll stand up and they'll do this before they do it. And so we, we, as we walk into the space, we, we bow. That's to show respect for the countries that uh, practice Taekwondo. But it's also a way of saying, I'm stepping out of a crowded world into a quiet space where I can work out and do stuff, do my stuff. And so when you come home from work, do you, do you have some kind of ritual 
to step across the threshold and leave the crowd, the distractions, the stresses, the pressures out? Or do you bring them home with you? You see how complex it gets? Balance. That's the first thing, is that we make it simple when it's not simple. The second thing I see is that we treat it like a light switch. Just do it. Just do it. Ten years ago at my annual physical, my doctor said to me, uh, ten years from today, you're going to be on oxygen, and uh, probably within another ten years, you'll be dead. Do I have your attention? Got my attention. I'm an asthmatic, have been from birth. I have asthma 24-7. And he said, I have you on every medication, the maximum dose that I can put you on. And he said, and your lung functions are steadily declining. I can't stop it. So my lung functions were down in the 60 to 70% range, and I was barely having trouble just getting around. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? And he said, well, he said, I don't know what's exactly going on with your extreme reflux, but that's a problem. You need to get it fixed. And many of you have wandered through with me the six surgeries in those 10 years to have all this rebuilt and fixed. Um, he said, you got to get that fixed or there's no shot. Then you have to lose 60 pounds. I've lost 45 over those 10 years. And you have to get in the best shape you've ever been in in your life. Maybe you have a chance if you do those three things. So that's why I started in Taekwondo. So I learned really quickly, if I go on this diet, I lose 10 pounds. Boom. moment I go off, gain it back. Go on this diet, boom, 10 pounds. moment I go off, I gain it back. And I learned that there's no such thing as a magic pill. There's no such thing as a light switch to flip. It just didn't work that way. And the nutritionist, I met with a nutritionist, and she said, how long did it take you to get overweight? I said, 10 years. And she goes, it'll take you 10 years to get back to where you want to be. And um, I had to change the way I think. And that's what balance is all about. It is a steady process. We're going to look at that in scriptures in just a moment. We don't ask any of you to just stop sinning. It doesn't work that way. And you know that. What we're asking, and this is how I perceive all of you, is that every week we all together just take a half a step closer to the cross. Just a half a step. Just a half a step. So that as you learn these things, as you learn the principles and you begin to put them to practice, very slowly you begin to enjoy more and more of the joy of the Spirit of God. Because this is not a sprint. This is an eternal this, uh, journey that we're on. It just starts when you accept Christ. The first part of it is pretty rugged because we're in a fallen world. One day in glory, that part will go away, but the journey continues. And so that's how I picture this. So when we start talking about balance today, this is a complex discussion, and every one of you is going to define balance a little differently than every each other. And, uh, and you're going to be somewhere on that journey. Some of you are near the beginning. Some of you are further down the road. And so keep that in mind as we look at this. You see, another thing we do with this whole discussion of balance is we tell you what to do. Give more, give less. Go to church more, go to church less. What? We have never said that. Go to church more. We'll just leave it at that. Read your Bible more, whatever. You know how we do that. What I don't want to do today, I don't want to give you the how-to's. I went to the Denver Seminary Library, and I want to do some research in theology of Christian marriage. It's not an area that we, have, uh, we talk about a lot. So I went to the section on marriage, the theology section, books written specifically about a theology of marriage. By the way, it should be a test if you could write down what's the theology of Christian marriage. What does that mean? 
And there was this many books. Maybe that many. They're all written by Catholic priests. <laughs> now, I have nothing against Catholic priests. I love Catholic priests. I know many of them. Faithful as could be. But none of them have been married. Okay? Which, in some respects, is good because they can give you an objective viewpoint. Other respects is they're going, are you sure you can... Have you thought about this? One book was written by a Mennonite pastor, a little tidy book. I got it, and I bought the book. It's a little gold nugget. How many books were there? Okay, so one foot. How many feet were there on how-tos? 30 linear feet on how-tos. I don't need to tell you how-to. In the first service, Matt Best is not here. I said, you guys are not idiots, except Matt Best. And everybody started laughing, and Lisa goes, What? <laughs> it was really funny. You're not idiots. If we can explain to you what the boundaries are, and you can figure out how to stay within them, okay? So when you think about balance, I'm going to go to 1 Peter 2. He creates a constellation, a group of dynamics that we should always be, be analyzing our life within. And if we get outside of it, then we get into trouble. You see, making a decision, there's the key right there, to live a life of balance is just that. It's a statement of intention. It's something you have to do. Your natural default is to move out of balance. If you've got money, your heart's going to go one way. That's just an example. Okay? So, weapons of mass distraction. We have distraction everywhere we look that's naturally leading us outside of these boundaries. So 1 Peter 2 gives us, he uses six metaphors in here that help us grasp what, grasp what it means to, uh, to live our lives in the kingdom, in today's world, especially in a world that's broken and fallen. At the very beginning of Peter, here's how he starts out, chapter 1, to God's elect, verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. To be obedient. That's why we are chosen. To live out our faith. A little bit later on in that chapter, verse 15, he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. He doesn't say become holy. Hebrews 10 says, By the will of God, you have been declared holy once for all time. He doesn't say become holy. He says be holy. Live it out. Live out what has already happened to you. That's what he's arguing. So in chapter 2, he gives us a blueprint, if you will, of what this looks like using six metaphors. Therefore, chapter 2, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Here's the first one, like newborn babies. Like newborn babies. There it is. Metaphor number one. You see, the use of children at this time period is startling. Jesus said, took a child and said, lest you become like a child. Because children were the lowest on the social strata. They're below the slaves when it came to value. And the reason is because as they grew up, you don't know what their character is going to be like. And if, they're, and if they bring shame to your name, then you lose your business, you lose all that. In a shame and honor context, your children uh, have a lot of power. And so children were, had very little value. So when Jesus took the child in his arms. He's changing world history. So that became a metaphor. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So the metaphor is a baby craving milk 
What does that mean? What does that symbolize? Growth and maturity. Do you desire to grow? I don't mean just talk about it. I mean, do you crave it? Do you desire it enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen? If not, your life is out of balance. Because as you walk with the Lord, the closer you get, the more hungry you should become, the more thirsty you should become to want more. So are you like a newborn baby that's craving that milk, that time with God, spending time in his word? How much time do you spend in the word? I can't answer that question. I challenge you every, at the end of every year, we're getting close. I'm not looking for a new age resolution. Those go by the wayside real quick. No, I'm, I'm challenging you to take some time between now and the end of the year and think about reading the Bible. I read this Bible every year, cover to cover, every year. It's my priority. Read it. If you've not done it, if you have a phone, you have an app that's free that'll give you the Bible verse every day that you have to read to get through it. Read the Bible. Read it. There's a lot of stuff in there you're going to scratch your head on. A lot of stuff you're not going to understand. A lot of stuff you're going to make you a little angry. Sometimes you're going to go, wow, why on earth did God do that? And, but it'll start to create hunger to know more, understand it. Then verse 4, as, coming, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You're a living stone. There's a second metaphor. Second metaphor. John, do you know you're a living stone? The day you came to Christ, he created a stone with your name on it. There's part of the foundation. Heidi, you're a living stone. He created, put your name on it and put it right next to it. He's building a spiritual house, which he calls later a temple, a spiritual temple. That's what the church is. We're talking about community. How do we understand the temple? Do we look at a Hindu temple? No. No. The Buddhist temple? No, we look at the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple is where all the festivals and the dancing and the worship together occurred. They all came together several times a year to the nation to just celebrate and praise God for what he was doing and his blessing. The poor could come and take money from the tithes of others and, and so that no one was poor. That was the goal. The Mosaic law was fulfilled when there, was no, when there were no more poor. Ooh, think about that. There should be no poor. And so he says, we are being built into this place where we dance and we celebrate and we care for one another. We're talking about community. It's real popular. One of the distractions we have is right there, all those mountains. Skiing. I mean, I love to ski. I love to sail. I love to hike. I love to hunt. I love to do all that. Camp. This is one of the distractions. How many times... Have I heard, I've heard up here in the last four years more than I've heard in my entire life put together, I can find God out there. My church is out there. Yeah, but you know what you can't find out there? Me and you. Show me a single verse, a command that you can obey by yourself. Love one another. Got to have somebody else. Carry one another's burdens. Got to have somebody else. Paul uses a reflexive pronoun, one another, 57 times. Whatever else you say about his theology, we're supposed to be doing it together. So no, you don't really find God out there. What you find is selfishness. That's what you find. 
Show me a verse that you can do it by yourself. The assumption behind every verse is that you're in a community. Even in 98% of the verbs are plural. Y'all. We need the Texas version of the Bible. Even the commands that are singular are placed in the context of community. Ephesians 4, let each of you speak truth to one another because you are members of one body. John goes so far as to say, if you love God and you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. Now, I understand the need for respite, the need for retreat. I just came back from eight days taking my rifle on a walk through the woods. Hiked 28 miles. I had a great time reflecting on you, on me, on my marriage, my family, my kids, my grandkids. I had a great time reflecting on, and I do this every year, what the Lord has accomplished in my life and what I'm hoping for this year, what I'm trusting him for and praying for. I understand the need for retreat, but that's not the same as the escape. No, you don't find God out there. You find God in a relationship. That's what we're created for. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. We're developing a community, a thriving community. Then he goes on. Why? To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. Now we're talking about worship. You're a priest. Did you know that? You're a priest. Now, for those of you that are raised Protestant, so we have a community church, so we have all religions here, all, all denominations. For those of you that were raised in protest to the Roman Catholic Church, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You are a priest. Peter is very clear on that. And the moment I say you're a priest, your first question should be, on behalf of whom? You see, because when he calls you a priest, that's not about you. That's about the person next to you. You're a priest on behalf of someone else. And a priest does three things in, the Jude- in Judaism. Three things in the Old Testament. They bring God to people, they bring people to God, and they bless the people. Do you do that with your neighbors? Have you ever said to one of your non-Christian friends, tell me what it is you're excited about. I'm going to pray to my God that he answers that desire. Have you ever done that? You know, Solomon said in 1 Kings 8, the dedication of the temple, Lord Yahweh, when the foreigner comes because they will hear of your great name, listen to their requests, answer them, and bless them so they will know that you are the one true God. You should try that with your non-Christian friends. What is it that you are hoping for? I'm going to pray to my God that he answers that. What are you afraid that he won't do it? Watch what happens. I did that with one of my friends. He wanted a job. So he calls me up and he says, all right, let's go out. I got to talk to you about it. I got the news today. We went out and he goes, I didn't get the job. Your God didn't answer your prayer. I said, welcome to my world. (laughs) He just started laughing. I said, there's been many times where God didn't answer the prayer, at least the way I prayed it. I said, now I'm kind of curious how he did answer it. Uh, Maybe you haven't found it yet. He just grinned. He said, I got a better job than what I was applying for. Your God did answer your prayer. I said, great. What are you going to do about it? What are you afraid of? If Solomon can pray that, can't we pray that? We are a holy priesthood. 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Then you will prove what true worship is. Offer yourselves on behalf of others. That's what it means to be a priest. Part of the community idea. Down in verse 9, you are a chosen people. There's the fourth metaphor. So here's what we've done. Newborn babies talks about craving growth toward maturity, craving to know the Lord more. Then we have, we are living stones and we're building a community that's life-giving. Then he says, we are a holy priesthood. We're offering ourselves to those around us as living sacrifices. Now he says, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There it is again. A holy nation. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. This is telling people about the one true God. You are a chosen people so that he chose you so that you would tell others about his goodness. Have you ever said to a non-Christian, what's your faith background? I believe in Jesus because he's good. My God is good. And you know what? People are going to say, huh? Have you seen all the evil in the world? Yeah, that's why I believe in Jesus. (laughs) And just talk to people about Jesus? You were chosen as a witness to his grace in your life. And then from there, oh no, he goes on, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Oh no, I went to the wrong one. That's the next one, fifth one. You are chosen people so that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 11, here's the next one. I urge you as foreigners and exiles. What did Paul say? We are citizens of heaven. Don't forget that. We are citizens of heaven. Don't get wrapped around the axle on President Trump. Whether you like him or hate him, it doesn't matter to me. The question is, what is God doing through this man? That's really the only question that counts. You don't have to like him and you can love him. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're liberal, conservative, progressive, whatever label you want to use. That's not what's important. What is God doing in our country? Try to figure that out. Think like a theologian. We're foreigners and we're exiles. We have a front row seat to see what's happening within our own culture as Christians. And we have the wisdom to discern where God is present. And he said, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Here we're talking about now living lives of holiness, living out our faith. He goes on to say, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God. We want to be put under the microscope. We want that. Because we're sinless? No. It's the opposite. I said a couple weeks ago, we should welcome the charge of hypocrisy. That means they're looking because we are hypocrites. Because now we have the chance to say, you're right. And I don't want to be like that. Here's what I want to be like. Hypocrisy is not the issue. Arrogance is. Every human alive is a hypocrite. So live such good lives so they can see your good deeds. I hope God never gives any of you cancer. You guys know I have cancer. Last week... Uh, I just passed my two-year screening, so I'm past the high probability time. 
It came back clear. Okay? But if he decides to give you cancer, don't take it out on God. Let him have his way because you're being observed by those around you. Christians and non-Christians alike. They're being observed. And they know how you're responding. Respond in faith. Because this is not your home. We'll get there. And then the last one is in verse 16. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't do it. Don't abuse the freedom that Christ has given you. Rather, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you realize Peter died soon after this? You know who put him to death? The emperor. You know who it was? Nero. So Peter can say, honor the emperor. I trust, I, I have confidence our president, no matter how good or bad he is, is not as bad as Nero. Okay? Honor the emperor. What we're talking about here is citizenship. We're talking about living within our own culture in a way that is healthy where we use our freedom for good things. We use our freedom to bring about goodness in the lives around us. And when, as what Jeremiah said, God said, I'm getting ready to kick you out of the land. Seek the prosperity of the cities where I'm going to take you. You're being kicked out because of sin. Wherever I send you, seek that prosperity of that city. And so this is about citizenship, living as good citizens. Okay, so now what we've done is we've constructed a matrix that we can live within. And you can evaluate any of your behaviors in light of this. So let's remind them what they are. Metaphor number one, babies who crave milk. That stands for continuing to grow in your passion to know the Lord. And keep reading and studying and learning to know more and more about the Lord. You're a living stone. You're being built into a spiritual temple. We're building a community that's life-giving. Find your passion here, not there. Third one, we're a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices. That means we're presenting ourselves on behalf of others to love them, to serve them, to take care of them. The next one, fourth one, we are a chosen people. Uh, A chosen people for the purpose of declaring his praises. What that means is we are to be telling people about how good our God is. Because he is good. He can be trusted. The next one, we are foreigners, we are exiles. Why is that? We are to live out our holy lives so that they, the lost world, will see our good deeds and our humility when we sin and fail, which we will do, so that they will come to the Lord. And then finally... We are God's slaves or his servants within our own culture to be good citizens so that we bring the best to the people around us. Okay? There's the matrix right there of what it means to live in balance. This is what spiritual life looks like. So you can take any area. It's up to you. Giving. We talked about that three weeks ago, four weeks ago. How much do you give? Do you give as an act of worship or out of duty? I was one of them. We're priests. Right? Is that why you give? To do that? Do you give because you want to further the life of someone better than you? You want to bless them because God has blessed you? That's part of it as well. 
So you can go down there. Do you give as a witness? Paul says that when you give, that's an evidence of your faith in the gospel. That's proof that you believe this gospel. Is that why you give? See what I mean? So you could take any of your behaviors and put it over this matrix and say, am I out of balance? Or do you give because of a sense of obligation or do you not give because you're greedy? You'd rather buy something new. You understand how that works? This is a matrix. It's not a list of how-tos. It's a list of what's important to God. Father, thank you for uh, just being so, so good to us, so, uh, so kind. Thanks for being so generous and just pouring out of your riches in heaven. Those are your words, not mine. Pouring out of your riches into our lives to bless us. That's the kind of church we desire to be, Lord, is a church that blesses others around us. Thanks for being a God who, uh, who pays attention to the details and is patient with us as we slowly walk through life. Thank you. Thanks for never giving up on us. It'd be so easy to do. We deserve a lot worse than what we have. What we have is blessing and grace. We're appreciative. Thank you. And Lord, we're going to take an offering now. And uh, I would just like to say on behalf of our, my church right here, thank you for these generous people. I love being part of a church that has a heart to give. It's so delightful. Please bring them the joy that comes because of their giving. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to take the offering. So just pause. Why do you give? Why? We bend our knees. We bend our knees.